If you were asked to choose the most fabulous character in English literature, who would it be? Robin Hood? King Arthur? Becky Sharp? Sherlock Holmes? Oliver Twist, perhaps? Well, any one of them would be an excellent choice. Still, for the most fabulous character of all, I would nominate a toad. J. Thaddeus Toad, Esquire. You could not be more wrong. You could try, but you would not be successful. Welcome, 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 welcome to the podcast that puts the plus in Disney Plus. It's Talking the Mickey. My name is Ian. My name's Ellie. And I'm Ethan. And that's all we've got today. Georgia is officially <laughs> on hiatus. Maybe if we, we should do like sort of those like Twitter goal things. Like if we get X number of retweets, we'll let her back. <laughs> or if you want, if you give us X number of retweets, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll keep her away. <laughs> <laughs> We this didn't is, even do this for Ethan when he picked the wild. This is like crowdsourced uh, casting, I suppose. But I no. was listening to Best Film Ever today, and I'm, I, I like that my my mistake of the wild is transferred over to Best Film Ever now, and that that's <laughs> the reason there why Georgia was going. I was as trying well. to keep things nebulous because there are a great number of people who listen to Best Film Ever who don't listen to Talking the Mickey, and vice versa. And it's like Ethan picked a bad movie, and I'm like, they don't even really unless they remember the Star Wars episode, they might not even remember who Ethan is. <laughs> <laughs> but we 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 left it in there anyway, which is uh, which is great. It was I mean we we wherever in the world you listen to us from, we record this in England, and it was hot today. Well, sometimes, yeah, was, I was okay. This is what you're a looking for: mixture. generic, uncertain weather forecasting mm. from a foreign country. Absolutely. So if you're somewhere besides England, I mean, it was it was it was one of those things where it was like a really cool morning and then went out for a walk and came back and it was boiling by the time the walk was over and i like i regret every fashion choice i've made in a different way than i like you know um really wish i'd done something else fashionably 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 sartorially sartorially i don't even know what sartorial means oh it means like uh, to the properties of it's like fashion it's talking about the, uh. the choices that are made to do with, with with the fabrics and the well fashion yeah so sartorially that's the adverb See, I, I, wear, I wear thin hawaiian shirts so I, I i never feel the heat ever you're like a 55 year old man in florida before your time yeah, I'm like Not a Merlin. less creepy John Lasseter. Minus the long hair, though. I mean, you've got like this this youth, which is the long hair, but you've got this like Hawaiian getup, which just screams, take me to Florida, which, you know, hopefully at some point that place will get it all figured out because right now it's crazy still. I'm like I'm like a surfer dude mixed with a suburban dad. So, um, but you got to come here for, for um, our sartorial choices. Look at me using that word again. Our sartorial <laughs> choices. Or for the weather, you came here for some Disney content. And Ethan, you messaged me at some point during the week with some Disney content of your own. Oh, yes. Uh, Disney Plus uh, have announced uh, two big sort of Star Wars show pieces of news. There's a uh, spinoff coming out next year for Star Wars The Clone Wars called Star Wars The Bad Batch, which is very exciting for me. And the Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, spin-off series has announced that they've got uh, Anakin Skywalker's actor Hayden Christensen as a series regular. As a series regular? 
Yes. No, that's interesting. I mean, there's a couple of ways you could look at this. You could look at this and go, do we have to have Hayden again? But then you have to have a third actor play Anakin. And it's, it's already crowded enough. I mean, if you're going to have Ewan as Luke, mm. then surely you have to have uh, Hayden Christensen, Canada's own, unfortunately, um, as, as Anakin. And I think, Ethan, Star Wars, if nothing else, tries to be a story of redemption. Yeah. And I think this is a chance for Hayden Christensen 20 years later to redeem himself for a pretty terrible pair of movies. Pair, I, pair of performances. So. Pair of performances. I, oh, I was going to say pair of movies, but actually I think Revenge of the Sith is actually quite a good movie. I think oh, his I performance agree. in it is dreadful, but, but I think the third I, movie holds up. I agree with Revenge of the Sith, but that's because I've spent the last, oh god, two months re-editing Revenge of the Sith <laughs> to include Clone Wars, which has not been fun for me. Um, but I, I, I really like the prequel uh, era. I grew up in that, so I, I have that bias. But the, the Clone Wars, like you said, redeems that. So I think it'd be very interesting now that we've had the end of Clone Wars and we'll have the Bad Batch to, hello, dog, <laughs> uh, to, to sort of have Hayden get his kind of redemption. My theory was that he'll be playing Vader, but we'll be seeing Anakin through the eyes of Obi-Wan the entire time. So, like, it's Vader, but he still views him as Anakin. And I think mm. that gives more sort of screen time for that and... We'll get a bit more. I, it's either that or be flashbacks, and if well, it is, then we'll get just uh, live yeah. action Clone Wars, which is exciting for me. Well, but last time we saw Anakin, he was like 20, 22, 25, something like that, right? So unless you're gonna yeah. do some crazy CGI de aging for every flashback, or you're gonna have him parade around as you know a middle aged man, I don't know. I don't know what the middle ground is. I don't there is one. But it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I'm not opposed in principle to the casting of Hayden Christensen. I think. He's got 20 years to obsess about this. Let's see what he can do on the flip side. Um, so thank you to anybody who's listening to us today, whether this is episode one or episode 26, he said. Unsure. I'm sure it's 26. I will say. 26. Okay. And um, so a, a thousand thanks for... If you listen a thousand times, God really God bless you. But um, <laughs> but if this is your first time your twenty sixth time, thank you so much. Uh, a couple of shout outs, a few shout outs to give out. We've had a lot of people sort of uh, interacting with us, and definitely Ethan. I want to give you a couple seconds to talk about the Drink Drunk Dead podcast, just in like thirty seconds or less, because they uh, continue yeah. to sort of you know sound the klaxon for for talking to Mickey, and so we we, we both have listened to an episode, but mm. you were you you messaged me again because you were really you you really enjoyed what you heard, I think. Yeah, I really like spooky stuff and anything to do with, like, ghosts and the paranormal. Uh, I'm a big fan of true crime and, like, old creepypasta stuff, so this was, like, a nice combination of both. Uh, it's very welcome to Night Vale in their spooky quirkiness, but if you like anything about facts about haunted locations like me and urbexing, give them a shot, because they're so entertaining. And the episode they had with a paranormal investigator two weeks ago was fantastic. Excellent. Um, I, I listened to one. It was about some specific case that they were, but they opened up with like five minutes of flatulence facts. <laughs> so factulence. I don't know how to praise it, but uh, it, it, it was enjoyable stuff. And I thought they had a nice back and forth rapport. So um, mm. enjoyed that. Another podcast gave us love was Bigfoot for Breakfast. Bigfoot for Breakfast, who's on my list to listen to this coming week. So we'll see. Uh, kind of what goes on with there, but they were throwing us again some love out there in the in the wide world of podcast recommendations, which is great. Ethan, you got some uh, you, you got some commentary from a gentleman named I, I hope it was right, Yersi Fennell, 
who um, loved the Hamilton minus your oh, yeah. <laughs> minus your attack on on the fan fiction community. So uh, <laughs> maybe they're saying maybe 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 Yersi saying to you uh, talk less, smile more. <laughs> I I was expecting that the fan fiction community is always a bit. They're, they're a bit not defensive because I understand when you write something like that, it, it takes a lot of time and effort. I think I've just I've seen the bad side a lot, so I always expect the bad side. But there are some fantastic things. For every My Immortal, you've got some some good content. Okay, uh, Dwayne Smith, as always, Dwayne Smith. Just if it wouldn't be a podcast with a lot of us if I wasn't bringing up Dwayne Smith in some capacity. <laughs> Hi, Dwayne. <laughs> Hello, Dwayne. And then uh, Anna Smith, our, our, our maybe our final individual who's getting the Andrew Shevsky Memorial shout-out. Anna Smith, who's discovered the podcast this week, has been in contact quite frequently and took us to task a little bit. She definitely prefers the music in Frozen 2 to Frozen 1. <laughs> I kind of respectfully as I could try to disagree. As <laughs> but by all means, if you, if you like the music in Frozen 2 better than Frozen 1, that's great. Um, I just and I, maybe I was just completely numbed out with the fact that none of the characters mattered except for Elsa. So I was kind of just you know maybe maybe it was my heart that was frozen. <laughs> uh, and it was me all along. And uh, finally, Emmett Verbal Diorama continues to uh, do good work and uh, show us a bit of love. So thank you to all those people. Awesome, Andrew Shevsky Memorial shoutouts. So uh, if you want to give us a shout out, there's a nice thing you can do on iTunes. Why not just as you're listening to us prattle on today, why not open up that bad boy and give us five stars? It's gonna, it would make us happy. And surely if we've learned nothing else, it's that happiness is, uh, is fleeting. And this is a chance for you to actually give like tangible rated like happiness. You can say like, I, I appreciate you X amount five stars amount <laughs> and let us find our value from numerical based data because it's the 21st century and that's how we do things now um george as we said is not here doing her cool uh outdoorsy summer job uh, if you do hear the odd bit of a <laughs> of a bark <laughs> we are sort of watching um uh, george's dog a little bit at times over the summer and so uh he's making his voice heard even if she can't make hers he just found something very exciting under the sofa did he really well, I don't, I don't think he actually did, but he seems to think so. And just <laughs> worth mentioning a couple of events we have coming over. Next week, we are doing a special crossover episode with our sister podcast, Best Film Ever. Ethan, you're, jo- you're joining us for that one? I hope I am, or this is going to be a very awkward recording session for me. Yeah, it will be, <laughs> uh, because we are going to be doing a Toy Story. Ooh. Toy Story, which I'm quite famously not the biggest fan of that I remember. I remember seeing it. I hate Tim Allen. I, I, if you're listening to, to Best Film, ever you heard a little bit of this. I just don't like Tim Allen. Never did. And um, really disliked the first one, the first time I saw it, because it was like, wow, Tim Allen's the cool toy. I'm like, I ha- I'm with Woody all the way. Like, pu- legitimately push him off a ledge. But we'll see if that changes when I watch it again, because I haven't seen it in at least 15 years. So... Definitely up for I that. have I haven't seen it in a long time. I saw I saw four when it came out, so it'd be really interesting to go back and see one again. Sorry, after. with your accent, it was hard to pick up. Did you say you saw four or you saw Thor? Because I do love Thor. Yes, I saw <laughs> I, I saw four Thor. A, uh, a bit of a non sequitur to talk about Thor, but I will always <laughs> talk about Thor. Thor is right always. <laughs> Uh, but that'll be uh, we'll record that Sunday but it'll be coming out on Tuesday which is our usual best film ever day we'll we'll, we'll sort of release it to both um, to both platforms on that day 
and then that will be that week's um, podcast. You don't get anything that Thursday, and we'll, we'll go back to our regular schedule the following Thursday. So there's all the announcements we have. We may have some more news coming up on the crossover episode, um, but we'll see you on that at that point. And if we have some news to shout out, we will. So, Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Anybody see this before? I saw half of this. Wait, which half I have did, you seen before? I saw Sleepy Hollow. I've so seen like, Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. Back in like the early 2000s when like compilation DVDs were a thing where you get like Marmaduke and, uh, I don't know, Mrs. Doubtfire, where it's just weird compilations. Two films I had that one... naturally do belong together. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, I, I had a Disney one, which was like Disney Fables, and they had like maybe three volumes, and it was The Legend of Sleepy Hollow and The Prince and the Pauper, which, you know, funny, campy, quirky uh, comedy short about Mickey and Mickey and Mickey. And then I went to the horrifying scene of uh, Sleepy Hollow. So when when you said we were doing this, like, this is like a really short film, isn't it? It's like 20 minutes. Are you sure we're doing this? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I now understand why Mr. Toad was in Disneyland at the opening. I never understood until like today. Oh, really? Okay. Um, Ellie? So I'd, I'd not seen this before. I, the the um, Wind in the Willows part of it did did feel very familiar, but I'm pretty sure that's just from other kind of versions of wind in the willows and not from this specifically but i've definitely not seen the sleepy hollow part of it okay so i'd seen this before and we'll talk about it in a little bit in the context this thing got chopped in half and distributed in various methods quite frequently and one of those things is that um that, that i had seen is i saw it in canada and it was just the sleepy hollow side and i think that's because in canada we don't have any sort of literary um legacy with wind in the willows it's one of those things that didn't cross over so maybe those two ideas i mean as far as stories go how familiar are you with wind in the willows how familiar are you with the whole headless horseman sleepy hollow kind of narrative story the headless horseman was something that i was familiar with but like i said hadn't heard of wind in the willows at all saw it for the first time in any capacity at a school production of wind in the willows and that's when i learned all these characters that's crazy to me um wind in the willows is just kind of a, such a key part of childhood i think it's just one of those things you take for granted and just know about over over in the uk so okay so that's north america and europe sort of covered for our third continent ethan <laughs> i mean you you did move over here at a fairly kind of yeah mid childhood age yeah i was like I was pretty much raised in the UK, but I don't remember the Wind in the Willows. I went to a school when I was like, I don't know, five, six years old, and they did like I hope a you school, went to production. school past that. Oh yeah, <laughs> I just um, one time I, didn't but, take. But I, I, I uh, they were doing when I went, they were doing a school production of Wind in the Willows, and I was like, I've never heard of this thing yeah, in I've my life. I've never heard of this thing. And I was, all I remember was this one scene where they had like Mr. Toad be imprisoned. And I was like, what did he do? And I never knew until at the Stole age of 20, I went, oh, he, he committed tax evasion. Oh, is that what he does in that one? Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's sort of the legacy of, of where we're coming from. Sort of two existing texts. And then what do you do with them? And the answer was, if it's in the 40s, you, you, you make a package film. Um, so uh, this was released by uh, created by Disney, but released by RKO Pictures back when RKO were still a thing, um, based on the existing text "The Wind in the Willows" by Kenneth Graham, 1908, and "The Legend of Sleepy Hollow," 1820, Washington Irvi Irving. Sorry, one of which is American, one of which is British, and that would be the inverse of the way I said it, just to be difficult. 
Um, and just a little bit of context here. So the first, I mean, we really have to look at this kind of as two sort of different stories. And the um, Sleepy Hollow thing actually comes together without much ado. It just kind of, they decide they're going to do it and they do it. The Wind in the Willows one is a much sort of more in-depth story. And so 1938, this is like right after the release of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, um, two of the Disney sort of um, big story guys in the company, James Borbordero and uh, Campbell Grant, pitched to Walt the idea of making a feature film of Kenneth Graham's 1908 children's book, The Wind in the Willows. And they sort of prepare like a animated storyboard and they have rough dialogue, which is performed by members of the animation staff. So somewhere, I, I hope that exists, that can be... Because I just want to hear bad animators who we assume are animators for like a reason and not voice actors and just try and see them give their most convincing um, performance to try and get this thing passed. And Walt was skeptical. He thought it was going to be awfully corny. And that's something I'm going to come back to, I think, at the end. Is this awfully corny? But he acquired the rights in April of that same year. And so uh, he had it in 1938, but as we know, it does not come out until 1949, and there's a bunch of problems that hit that. And the intent was it would be a full-length narrative feature film with just the one narrative about the wind and the willows. And uh, the production of it would later be bolstered by writers and animators who are coming off Bambi. So Bambi finishes, and then you recycle the creative team into the other um films because oh, that poor team. this comes yeah i know right this comes smack dab in the middle between uh, actually eventually it will be between melody time and cinderella oh so cinderella probably came off like a absolute classic compared to this um and then we had the first real roadblock was the disney animator strike of 1941 which we haven't talked about really at all I don't know much about, okay. about the strike, I don't think. So basically, there was a group who established themselves called the street, the Screen Cartoonists Guild. Mm. And they started to basically take down animation studios. Not take down as in put them out of business, but get recognized and unionized. Uh-huh. And Disney's the last one. Now, partially because Disney's the biggest, but also because Disney has is the most lucrative. So I'll say this. Disney was paying his guys the most at that point. And before Snow White, he even gave them 20% of the profits of the cartoon shorts. Now, the problem is what happens? Snow White happens and it makes a killing. Now, all of a sudden, do you want to give 20% of a killing away? 20% of a little bit's all right, but 20% of a mm. killing, you're like, maybe I don't want to do that. And Walt had just, off the back of that, he builds the big new studios in Burbank. And he kind of says, I, I thought you would have been happy with, like, the better work environment. And I'm like, that's great. But work environment, don't put, like, like turkey on my table for, for dinner on the weekend, Walt. Like, thanks for the cool digs. But really, this sounds more like you bought yourself a new car and you're saying, isn't it great you get to watch me drive it? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so also in this, Pinocchio and Fantasia bomb. It's weird because I think we think of Fantasia as being a hard one to sell. But yeah. Pinocchio was a disaster as well. Because mm. Pinocchio came out after Fantasia, right? Yes, I believe it goes Snow White, Dumbo, uh, Pinocchio, I believe. Mm. Sorry, Snow White. I got that wrong. I believe it goes Snow White, Dumbo, Fantasia, Pinocchio. Yeah, I, I, I think I remember because there was some documentary where like, well, wanted to make Fantasia because he's like, I want to do my artsy fartsy film because the Academy recognizes me as something. I hear that's a direct then, quote. 
Oh yeah, that that sounds like a real Walt Disney thing to I, say. I think it's on a plaque at Disney World somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do an artsy fartsy kind of film. And, and then the Academy were like, "This is terrible, Walt. Why would you think this is what we want for for artistic films?" And he was like, no. "Oh, well, I gotta correct. Well, I gotta correct the order here, Ethan, for a moment. It goes. Ooh. It goes Snow White, then Pinocchio is the second film." Oh, that's then that Fantasia. More and actually, that will make sense because I've got a point about Dumbo coming up. I don't know why I gapped on it. So, um, yeah. So, um, and the the big thing is that Disney has a senior kind of animator called Art Babbitt who joins the SCG, and he's a senior animator, but he's sympathetic to the to the sort of regular guys, and he dislikes Walt. Oh, that's that's a great that's yeah. a great combination. And so they sort of give their um give their feelings and say, this is what we want. And Walt has a response. And I'm going to read the response out because this, he has a meeting. He gets everybody in a room and he says the following. In the 20 years I've spent in this business, I've weathered many storms. It's been far from easy sailing. It required a great deal of work, struggle, determination, competence, faith, and above all, unselfishness. Keep in mind, it's called Walt Disney Studios. Some people think we have a class distinction in the place. They wonder why some people get better seats in the theater than others. They wonder why some men get spaces in the parking lot and others don't. I have always felt and always will feel that men that contribute most to the organization should, out of respect alone, enjoy some privileges. My first recommendation to a lot of you is this. Put your own house in order. You can't accomplish a damn thing by sitting around and waiting to be told everything. If you're not progressing as you should, instead of grumbling and growling, do something about it. And you're not going to believe us, Ethan. That was not well received. <laughs> I, that, that's a shock to me. Yes. That's a complete shock to me. When your boss shoots you down like that, oh, that, that's when the unions start flowing. And then Walt fires like 25 like sort of um, prominent guys, including Art Babbitt. Oh, no. The next day, they go on strike, and the strike lasts for five weeks. Walt responds, because Dumbo's in full production. So what he does, that bit where in Dumbo, where like all the clowns are like terrible and scary in 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 Dumbo, yep. he models them after some of the striking animators <laughs> which i think is savage that's like with shrek because shrek came out after i think it was katzenberg left uh disney to go to uh dreamworks dreamworks yep. and they modeled uh lord farquad on michael eisner oh, they really? which is also why they called him <laughs> farquad because it sounds like fuckwad okay so it's just <laughs> Every every animation studio at Disney just really seems to like uh, hitting pot shots at people. I think so. And so, also Walt also responds by attacking Babbitt on the strike line one day. Like he assaults the guy. Wait, physically? Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. When you wish upon a star, um, uh, it's eventually though he has to yield and he recognizes the Screen Cartoonists Guild. I had to include this. It's just such a great story. Um. And then he eventually does leave for good. But Disney then goes ahead and claims that many of the ones who struck in the first place were communists. Oh, of course. Because we're in the heart of heart of McCarthyism. And oh, yeah. uh, this ends up in many being blacklisted. And that's kind of where we leave it. And during this time, Disney runs out of money and they need a loan from the Bank of America. And they're given like some sum like three and a half million. But the deal is they can only do shorts and finish the work that's already in production. They can't start anything new. Not that's going to be a feature. So until they start getting money back from the things they've already begun work on, they will get no, they can't start another feature. So they could continue 
so they could finish Dumbo, Bambi, and they could because they have begun win, win in the Willows, so they could go with that. But then, so, so Alice and Wonderland and Lady and the Tramp get put on the back burner because there's no money. You can't start them yet. They hadn't started the animation. And then Walt asked for some early footage of Wind in the Willows, and he was not happy with it. He said it wasn't a high enough quality to be distributed to the public and retain any sort of uh, popularity. And it stays there until 1946, so it stays there for like five years. It's ordered, it's picked back up and then ordered to be shortened for 20 to 25 minutes. And there is a legend, and I really hope this is true, that one of the animators goes to the war for the army. He returns from the army and he went back to work and said, what do you want me to work on? And they assigned him to the same sequence he was working on before he went to the war. Wow. Oh, that's awful. (laughs) This is just like the disaster this thing was. Um, Oh, I'd quit. I would would quit if if they were like, yeah, you go to war, you, you sacrifice your life. And then you do Wind in the Willows again. And then it's delayed again after layoffs in August 1946. Now, in December 1946, they start animating Sleepy Hollow separately to this. And the plan then is to package Wind in the Willows, a different thing called The Legend of Happy Valley, and something called The Gremlins, not The Gremlins where you don't feed them after midnight. But The Gremlins was supposed to be a new original story by Roald Dahl. Oh, I feel like one of the gremlins from Roald Dahl. And they were, it sounds familiar. And they were going to call it Three Fabulous Characters. But Dahl never got around. He kind of pulled a George R.R. R. Martin and never got around to writing the book. I guess you haven't <laughs> heard of it after all. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's in like the legacy of like unf- uh, like rumored Disney things that never came out or things like that. I think it's mentioned in like the Roald Dahl Museum I went okay. to years ago. And it's like, here's a list of concepts or something. And so instead, it comes under the title Two Fab. Uh, sorry, so it was, instead of being three fabulous characters, they were going to call it Two Fabulous Characters. So then Happy Valley's unmarried from it, and they attach it instead to something called Bongo, which I guess will come across when we do Fun and Fancy Free, because that's when that gets out. But in okay. late 1947, Walt decides we're going to pair Wind in the Willows with Sleepy Hollow, and we're going to get two big name narrators for those two projects, and that will get us the audience we want. And that is the plan. Did it get the audience they would? Uh, it made it did okay. It made like one point eight million in like what they call rentals because that was back when you know the theaters would actually just like rent the tapes and mm. get their whatever back from it. So that's how they refer to it. Uh, I guess so. And it created a lot of stuff on the back end. So um, so the critics were fans, but weirdly more so of the Toad of Toad Hall half, and a few critics called Ichabod silly and bumbling. But the Disney film historian Leonard Moulton said it's one of Disney's most beguiling animated features. The Wind in the Willows in particular has some of the finest work the studio ever did. And this is this is a guy who was like present then. This is a guy who's like still around and like writing about yeah. Disney now. And to hold Wind in the Willows in that high regard, I, I'm sorry, I, I found a bit surprising when I saw it. I really liked the Wind in the Willows section. Oh, did you? But then I think because Wind in the Willows for me is a very key story from childhood it does have that special kind of magical appeal to it mm-hmm. and perhaps if you're not familiar with it already then you know it's just a one-off kind of thing but um yeah I really enjoyed kind of revisiting those characters from my childhood and I, d- I did just enjoy the way it was put together as well though there was there was something special about it 
And after the initial run, they would split it up, and the first time they would get aired throughout TV for the majority of time. But it saw its first sort of TV life as part of the Disneyland TV show, which we talked about previously when we talked about Alice in Wonderland and how that was split up and how it seemed to make sense on television. So that's that. Let's jump into the film with our deep dives. We start off with a stained glass window, and I think it's this is like, more like a photograph or actual like video as opposed to animation. And I then, think so. Yeah. And then we go into a library, and we have narration. And our first narrator tells us about uh, there are some great stories in the history of uh, really British literature. He doesn't say British literature, but <laughs> he just says literature and we're supposed to infer that he means British because he's British. And he mentions basically he starts going, here's all the movies we're going to make. This is like today. This would be Marvel saying, here's what phase four will look like. <laughs> but he was like laying out like Disney phase three because he goes like Robin Hood, King Arthur. And Sherlock Holmes. And he mentioned Oliver Twist. Yeah. As he did well. mention Oliver Twist, but that doesn't fit my. There's no Oliver Disney. Film, Oliver and Company. Oh my word, Oliver and Company. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. So he basically goes. Here's <laughs> here's like 30 years of Disney, and this is really fitting because the guy who's doing the voiceover is a guy called Basil Rathborn. And Basil Rathborn was he a great mass detective? He was not a great mass detective. He played Sherlock Holmes in a series of films. Oh. So you wonder, is he the namesake for why it's Basil the Great Mouse Detective? Because it marries the oh. idea of Sherlock Holmes and this guy named Basil. And even though he's dead by the time that film comes out, some of his old voice work as Sherlock Holmes is put posthumously into the film. Oh, wow. So he oh. has a presence in this. So That's Basil cool. Rathborn is a bit of a get when, when, when they get him. And the more important thing, it's a get in Britain, right? Mm. Whereas the other one's going to be a get in America. So this is, and I'm probably going to have to lean on you guys because I know very little about Wind in the Willows. The stuff that I do, I'm kind of apathetic towards. So um, Badger invites Rat and Mole around for tea. He does, but before that, can we just give a little shout out to the lovely credit music that we had at the start of the film? Well, it's yeah, it's that choral I really 40s. liked it, but it was like blended with this kind of swing style. So it was like the choral, it was like the Lady and the Tramp, that really kind of traditional choral music you can but tell, blended with the you can tell it's like a 40s disney film because they like sing the name of the film in the first like six seconds <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the wind in the willows i really liked it <laughs> uh, i wasn't that bad it just they'll feel the same to me i don't know about you ethan i i don't remember the opening music i think i've just had bits of like the jazziness stuck in my head since i watched it because i've been humming like the mr toad and ichabod beginning bit sort of and then specifically the ichabod stuff later on but yeah like, the ichabod stuff is a bit there i i think it's all kind of blended into the same jazziness for me but i've i've always i've always liked those sort of quintessential Disney openings. I think I said it in Arsenal Wonder- Wonderland you too. It just, it just sounds very nostalgic. And it'll come me. up. I mean, it's, it's, that, it's that sound. It's that, we said it. Mm. It's kind of like that that classic golden age of Disney kind of let's have choral singers and we'll have usually maybe even a book opening or we'll have the matte painting. Um, and so we've got humans and animals living together. Uh, I found the, that very old. The, the, the animals are, what is it called? Anthropomorphized? Yeah, I think I had it right there. Yeah. It's very just, it didn't make sense. Like, I know it's a cartoon and all, but it was just very glazed over, well, which made it, it more surreal. I found it weird that a lot of the humans had lower class accents than the animals did. <laughs> um, 
But one of the first scenes is a postman delivering a letter to Rat, isn't it? And this a is, human postman. And this is great because it gets across one of my early sticking points about early Disney, which is whenever there's a, a, a letter which we have to read, they cut to like just a still shot of this letter they've created. And it doesn't move. It's not like you see the character's hand open it. or It's just like, it's just like you just hit like you're in Sony Vegas and you go, let me just drag this photograph in there for a minute. We'll hold it and then we'll go back. And it happened like nine times over the course of both stories. We had still, there were a lot of letters. Um, and what do I have must? Oh, we get told that Mole and Rat need to go see Badger at once. Uh, because Toad is almost bankrupt. And for something kids love, it's the idea of financial insolvency in their <laughs> cartoons. Because <laughs> kids can relate to the idea of what bankruptcy means. And we have more of these still shots, but on like invoices. So kids want to know how much Toad paid for these items. Because we have like close-ups <laughs> on these hand-drawn invoices using terms like guineas. So it's aged really well. This is the equivalent of the Phantom Menace opening crawl where I have no <laughs> idea what's going on. It's just so, it's so bizarre for, like, I like when kids' movies sort of have more realistic themes sometimes, but this was yeah. just, it's like, I want to see Woody do his taxes when we do Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> really nervous about that, uh, about that prostate exam he's got to do, because he's getting up oh. there. <laughs> The Pull my string. Um, <laughs> um, so we got bill keepers who, who, because um, obviously Toad owes them money, and uh, Badger just kind of gets rid of them. And I'm just like, he should really be like getting paid for the service. It's pretty dang good. Like, mm-hmm. to what degree does Badger owe Toad this? Just that he's a good friend. He doesn't seem to like Toad that I much. Think so yeah, I think he just sees him as a bit of a. Not a project, but someone, someone that he's... Yeah, yeah I guess so. Because there's not the money to pay him. No. Um, I really liked the um, the pictures of Toad. Around, they were like portraits of Toad around, I around Toad this. all on the walls. And I don't know whether they were all supposed to be him and to show his vanity or whether they were kind of his no. ancestor Toads. But I thought that was really funny. And so in come Ratty and Maul. And McBadger is out of energy. He's like, I can't even... And he, can, he can't even hold himself up. Until he gets inspired, he wants to yell about Toad some more. And then he's got all the energy in the world. <laughs> and he sort of yells and says, and this, is so, and this is true of both stories. There is so much telling and no showing in this film whatsoever. <sighs> Badger then thought to himself, oh, yes, I need to do this. And then Mole said, oh, that's a fantastic well, idea. It's, it's, because it's not, Mole believed, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's not even the, in the narration. It's just like character A says to character B. And as we all know, when he gets something in his head, you can't mm-hmm. talk him out of it. Oh, well, what's his issue now? Well. well, now he's got a horse and car. He couldn't show us. Oh, what's his problem now? Oh, okay, better. So what's his problem now? You're not going to believe this. No, what is it? you're really not going to believe this. And then we cut to the cart coming over the hill from their perspective. And he goes, told you. It's funnier and it's not like, oh, it, oh, so the next shot is literally just what we heard in the previous shot. Cool. Uh, and Toad has a cart and a horse. And we begin our song, the one song I think that I found in this one, which was Merrily on Our Way to Nowhere in Particular, I think yeah. it's called. Yeah. It wasn't all right. I thought it was really sweet. There's uh, American kids will learn there's lots of shires or shires in uh, in England. There are. There's Yorkshire. Yeah, there are lots, but this 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 is going to help. This is geographical, you know, education. 
and here's my issue with this. Ethan, what's your thought on this? At first, I looked at it and went, wow, the, the horse can speak. Because I had forgotten briefly that, no, everything's an animal that can speak in this <laughs> world. Because what has this horse done to become the one indentured servant in like a universe where every other animal has like freedom? What has this horse done? And also, why is the horse the only one who's naked, therefore? The nakedness, I I would also query, but I mean, is he a servant or is he just a friend that enjoys going out with Toad with his he's got a, caravan? He's got a bridle I, and like he says, he got a cart and a horse, which implies he was purchased oh, as okay. an object. <laughs> it's in the same vein of like that one friend that all like the the sort of cool guys have in film is where they just like ride them and use them as whatever because they're like, oh yeah, we'll go here, we'll do that, you'll just drive me here and there. It just felt like that, like. Actually, no, it's exactly like that. He's just the guy that drives the rich kid everywhere and enables him to do more bad stuff. But I didn't realize that they, when they were singing, they sounded the exact same. And I was like, oh, I guess the donkey doesn't talk. And then I was like, oh, they just sound the same when they sing. Yeah. really threw me. And to Americans, Cyril, I think his name is, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, Cyril the horse, has very British... um, stereotyped teeth <laughs> like have you ever seen family guy one there's a character that hugh laurie plays it's a repeated character over and over and over again he's always in love with, 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 with lois and his teeth are just giant and sticking out of his face and that's the that's the stereotype is that british people have these giant big bad teeth which isn't true <laughs> but it's but it's like this was going what do we do let's give him the most british teeth he can get and we'll call him cyril that's a british name um, and then Toad goes, you'll never get me to give this up, which is, you know, it, you know, you can anticipate what's going to happen next. Something will instantly get him to give this up. And it's the motor car that comes over the thing. And he gets motor car mania, which is like He's spitting bars. He is spitting bars. And it's like motor car mania. It's like when like the monster trucks come to like your town on Sunday, Sunday. Is that a thing in this country? Do you guys have like monster trucks and things? I've always known about it. I've never seen oh. it. It's like with wrestling. I'd always see like it'd be like in Norfolk this Wednesday <laughs> on like November the nineteenth at six forty two. It's like these really weird specific times. <laughs> There'll be B Tech the Rock and B Tech the Rock Jonathan down the street. <laughs> and it'd be in like a weird top or like a village hall because it wouldn't feel like a real wrestling thing. That's well, always what I thought like the motorcade was. Whenever well, monster trucks in. are like that. They're into a show, but we used to get them all from the American stations because we wouldn't get any like Toronto or any of that. But Detroit always and so Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. See Truckosaurus, and I kid you not, I'm not making that up. It was like this giant like machine they would get that would like pick up like cars and like like feed it into its like robot mouth, <laughs> and this was a draw. And like and Grave Digger Sunday Sunday at Motor Car Media or something See, like that. That's the American dream right there for me. <laughs> What's the biggest, loudest, most destructive thing you've got? I'm going and I'm not wearing a mask. Um <laughs> 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 Sorry, that's just a little Donald Trump humor. I mean, even you know it's bad when I don't get political, but you know it's bad when Trump himself is saying maybe you should wear a mask. I like that I've seen people on Twitter be like, anyone who wears a mask is a sheep. And those same people are like, that's a great mask, Mr. President. You're so smart. <laughs> um, and so they kidnap Toad to protect him from his own um, 
devices. And you look at it, it's our first real glimpse at Toad Hall, which looks wonderful. And then you go in, and this bed that he's in is like a king-size bed for a human being. <laughs> like, like, why would you leave the house? This place is, A, is more house than he needs, first off. But secondly, like, surely there's other things you could be doing. Uh, but he escapes, because of course he does. Uh, and then Toad steals a car, but we don't see it. We just see a red car. He's hanging out with his horse, as you do. A car goes over the horizon, and then we find out from a newspaper cutaway he's been arrested. And Toad is not... Said, even if he had to beg, borrow, or... or and then... And that was good. That was, the, that was what I wanted from the first time when he has the cart and horse. If he said beg, uh, cheat, or... And if it was steal, they said steal, and then they showed theft, I'd be like, not as funny. This was funny because they let it finish, finish the joke visually. And so we go to the case, and Toad isn't taking it seriously, and neither is Mole. Mole's just kind of like Mole enables him, right? He's he's he's, he's just he is just sort of vibing, having a good old time. I don't think he understands. He's like he is. Whenever we do a, a Who, review is, of a is film, it, is this Toad or is this Mole? Who are we talking about? Uh, Mole. Okay. Whenever we do like a, a film review, sometimes we always make fun of George. We do that pretty that, much every like, week. True, but we make fun of her when she's like, oh, I like the silent animal character. That's what Mole is the entire time. He just sort of looks funny and a bit dozy, and he's like, I'm the Mole. <laughs> he's great. He just hasn't got much of a backbone. Nah, he, he, he's totally enabling Toad. Toad is the way Toad is, because Mole's been in his life. It's not like Mole like, egging him on, is he? He's just... He wants, when they lock him up, like Mole within like five seconds he is like, we should let him go. He's just compassionate. He's, compassionate. he's not going like, Toad, you should go and steal that motor nah, car. I'm with, I'm with Raddy. Raddy's got it figured out. It's like it's like Neville Longbottom with less of a backbone. <laughs> he's just like, oh, my friend is slightly sad. Time to let him do his, <laughs> his obsessions. That's exactly what Mole is, actually. Um, Neville. So Toad decides he's going to represent himself, and the horse comes in, and now the horse is wearing a suit, which means that when he's on the clock, is Toad insisting that he's naked? (laughs) (laughs) It was like, well, it's a dirty job, but he can have coveralls. It just seems really strange that now the horse is like, and he's kind of walking on his hind legs. He does that quite a lot, yeah. It's like animal When you're the car, you have to be the car. They don't wear clothes. Um, and so, and now the the horse tells his side of a story, and he's going to tell it in an A B A B rhyme scheme. Um, and they're just, and we get a flashback, which is actually, I thought a flashback was a really interesting storytelling device for 1949 Walt Disney. Yeah, yeah. I was really impressed with this. And they're walking down the road, and we find out that weasels are innately evil. Now, this is a clearly animal racism taking place. <laughs> Uh, because we learn all all weasels are evil, and we go okay. Uh, Toad gets high off the fumes. He takes a hit off the back of the exhaust pipe, <laughs> and he goes. He's going to go uh, buy the car, and he's going to trade Toad Hall for the motor car. So let's think about this because it was made clear to us. It's a hundred thousand pound property back then for a motor car, and everybody thinks this. And then in comes the owner of the pub that he Mr. was in. Winky. Mr. Winky. Like, I don't know. Toad and Mr. Winky share the most obvious pair of winks that you could ever see. Like, everybody saw this coming. Um, did anyone else notice how Mr. Winky started polishing the um, the stand in the courtroom oh, like he? he was polishing a bar? <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> so really nice. they say, well, what was he doing there? And he goes, he 
Mr. Toad tried to sell me a stolen motor car. And so we get more shots of newspapers and narration, and he's going to jail, and it's Christmas. And we have this moment where he see the narrator and Toad's imagination or hallucinations are working in tandem to show him faces of his friends in the puddle that he's crying into. Um, puddle of his tears. And then he's got much smaller digs. This time his space is, is representative for a frog or a toad. toad. <laughs> and then his granny breaks in, um, who, of course, is... Granny? Who, of course, is Cyril. Now, can we talk about the fact that Cyril doesn't have opposable thumbs? Or fingers, for that matter? So how is he carrying in disguises? A lot of the characters in this film have got opposable thumbs where they really ought not to. Right, but at least they have, like, paws have, like, digits on them. Like, a horse's hoof is like a solid thing. Yeah. The more I think about it, the more I don't think Cyril is an actual horse and just a person who's just doing whatever uh, because he knows Toad will pay him. So Toad's like, wouldn't it be funny if you pretend to be a horse? He's like, yeah, sure. Cyril got himself on a dodgy website and went too far in. <laughs> so I don't think we're shown how Toad escapes from jail. I think it just cuts outside and he's out now, right? Yeah, but he's still got his ball and chain. He's got his ball and chain. So I don't know how he got through. It was like he got like between the bars or anything like that. It's his giant ball and chain. I think he sneaks out disguised as the... As the they just let her go? Okay. The yeah. pink woman. And he escapes capture at first because his policeman stops and goes, Whoa! And it's like Cruella de Vil with like the, the parade of black puppies. And she's like, well, they're black puppies. I can't really. There was like a hundred of them, but they're, they're clearly not mine. Because um, it's like, oh, you're dressed in a dress. This is the, you know, I'm just assuming, assuming. And you shouldn't assume. And, um, and then, of course, the ball and chain comes out. And the cop chases the toad or Mr. Toad. And then do we see how Mr. Toad evades escape? Eventually, he'll jump on a train. Hmm. Yeah, so he just he just runs to the train platform, and then while well, the, the driver's filling the train up with oil, but from the platform, okay. and Toad just gets in the train and powers it off. Because so he knows how to drive a train. Okay. Yeah. And then all to the be cops... Fair, he, does, he does know how to maneuver quite a lot of vehicles. It's kind of his yes. thing. And all the coppers have, like, guns, and are shooting like they have a never-ending supply of bullets. And Toad is like a sociopath. He's just like laughing and like driving this train. <laughs> Shoveling imagine your imagine your job. Your job. You wake up in the morning. You kiss your wife goodbye. You go to work at like the police, the police prison, whatever. And then you end your day. You come back. She's like, "How was wife, honey? How was work, honey?" And he's like, "I had to shoot a frog who committed tax fraud. It's not the weirdest day I've had." Like, that's just such a strange concept to write down for a film, even, like, in the 40s. And plus, it's not tax fraud. It's Grand Theft Auto, which that's the that's the mashup I want to see. Grand <laughs> Theft Auto, Mr. Toad Edition. Um, There's got to be a mod of that there somewhere. Has to. <laughs> um, and so his way to get off this, he has this giant smile because the um, train's going over a bridge. And he hurls the the ball from the ball and chain off, which then drags him along with it. And you got to figure there's probably like a 50 to 1 weight distribution ratio between the ball and him. And he's celebrating briefly underneath the water. I'm going, oh, okay, I guess he can breathe underwater because he's a frog. Toad. Toad. <laughs> and then, nope, obviously, obviously not. And he starts to panic. And then we cut away to Ratty and Mole, who are celebrating Christmas. And all of us, and I'm thinking this is really dark. Like, uh, uh, is Toad about to drown? No, I thought that was the ending. I was like, yeah. oh, oh, <laughs> this is like, like some kind of. It was a message. pair of really dark. 
I, really I was didn't. like, oh, is this immoral for like our own greed <laughs> and not letting like material goods get to us? Nah, no. nice. Because in a minute he's about to like just knock on the door and he's there and it's like, are we gonna? It's it's kind of up there. It's even worse because I really went on a rant when we did 101 Dalmatians about how the dogs are being carried against the current the wrong way away from where they wanted to be and then they just were were okay and I was like, what happened? This is infinitely worse because we left him dying and then he's like, next scene he's like, hey, what I miss? You miss me? <laughs> Oh, there was this thing. He's not even wet. His his dress, his little grandma dress is not even wet. <sighs> so how does Toe get out of the river? We're not telling you. Um, and then... Um, the police show up. Well, we think it's, it's the police, the but it's not. It's McBadger. And we find out that um, Winky is the one who owns Toad Hall. Now, here's my question. If Winky has the actual deed that says you own Toad Hall, it clearly proves he didn't steal. That's the moral of the story, right? Yeah. So that, well, can't you just go, hey, go to Toad Hall. There's like a thousand weasels in there. Like you don't have to. Pr- that proves the sale to begin with, the fact they're living there. The idea is that they traded the deed for the stolen motor car. So Toad had already... No, because then, then he's still guilty of theft. So having the deed doesn't prove anything. Exactly. You're saying that the deed does prove something. Yes, the deed proves he sold it. Legitimately. No, that's, yeah, that, I I don't understand now. <laughs> because when they get the deed, it exonerates him. So obviously that alone is enough. So I don't know what the deal is. But anyway, they sneak in and I just, I hate Toad. And this is my problem. Whenever I watch anything Wind in the Willows, I hate Toad. Toad is not, oh, you lovable rogue. No, Toad is a jerk. He's a jerk to his friends. He doesn't care about anybody but himself. He doesn't care if he hurts anybody. Toad is that worst kind of friend where he goes, Toad is an addict who relapses and promises everybody, no, no, I promise you it's going to, I won't do it again. And then he does exactly that. He's selfish, doesn't care about anybody else except for himself. That's my oh, issue. Yeah. The, that, that's why I really dislike the ending of this because okay. it's so just enabling. It's, it's everything. Uh, and so I know cliches are cliches for a reason, but how many times, and this might have been one of the first ones, and I appreciate that too, but how many times do you have to see the old adage where everybody's sleeping and the bad guy has the MacGuffin on their person they need and you have to get, you have to, you know, <laughs> you have to get it. Like if it's not um, Pirates of the Caribbean uh, where they have to get the key to the lockbox that has Davy Jones's heart in it, it's the age-old trope of there's the guard asleep who's got the key on the on the big the big ring of keys and you have to get that without him noticing. It's just, I've just seen it too many times. Um, and also, Toad has now got rid of his ball and chain. Yeah, that's a good point. It's just disappeared. Well, probably McBadger said it's got like an off switch there, just just like clip it. <laughs> uh, and then Toad steals the deed, but runs. No, it's not Toad. It's Mole who no, steals the deed. They lower him from the balcony, and then runs into a fake exit. And then it's a Benny Hill sketch. He runs into a mirror. <laughs> like that bit where they're all like just throwing the deed around. Um, and then there's paper airplanes. And decoy paper airplanes. Decoy paper airplanes. And they're saved by, like, the Indiana Jones gimmick where, like, the wall spins around and then the other person's on the side of it and they're on the side of it. And um, I know they like did this first. At the TV, do yeah. not learn. And I call BS that Toad has that many books to fall on the weasels after it's all over. Toad does not strike me as a great reader of books. They could have been inherited. They could have been inherited. They're in pretty good nick. 
Um, I think he just has them because he's like, they'll look nice. <laughs> I have the money. He's about aesthetic. Not what, I think it was the thing he was excited about for five minutes. Because we all have that friend who's into something for five minutes and they're into something else. Yeah. And I think Toad is that guy, very much so. And then we find out, he's like, after they escape and they're safe, like, well, it's a shame we couldn't get the deed. And of course, Toad has pocketed the deed and he unfolds it and it's instantly like uncreased forever. It's like it's made of polymer. Like it doesn't, like you cannot wrinkle this thing. And then that saves him and we find out that Toad is now back in Toad Hall. He's got his money back. He doesn't have to worry about anything else. He's going to stay on the level. And then he's got a plane. And the narrator has to remind us, and don't we all envy Toad just a little bit? I'm like, no, I could not be a jerk like that. I could not. Even if he had a really cool motorcycle. No, and when do the Willows is this story? It's people, it's this, this idiot friend who gets in trouble. And so all his other friends band together to help him out. And he just spits in their face by doing something worse the next day. Am I wrong? No, you're totally right. Okay, thank you. There we go. So, I don't know. It's like, no, Toad, don't, no, we, we want to be there to support you. Don't be addicted to heroin. He's like, okay, that's fine. You guys heard a crack? That's what this feels like to me. He's just going from one bit of substance abuse to another bit. And it's so frustrating to me. <sighs> what message is that? I have no idea. Uh, let's skip over to the American side of the coin, because now here comes narrator number two. And we haven't mentioned the glorious, like, stop animation of these books extracting themselves from um, from, 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 from bookcases, which I, nice. I don't know if I liked it or not. But we had the voiceover, and it's Bing Crosby who's doing the second voiceover, uh, the singer of White Christmas and all that stuff. So um, he goes, and he decides he's going to listen. He goes, well, over in America, or he's called it The Colonies. That wouldn't happen today, would it? Nope. There's no way you'd call it the colonies. Um, he says, there's a bunch of stories that we have as well. And then he lists films that don't get made into Disney films. <laughs> like, none of them do. <laughs> it's kind of like he's like DC going, and there's these other films that we have on our schedule. And one's like, yeah, I don't want to see those. I want to I see the ones we saw before. And he starts talking about America's forefathers and, and the beginning of their country. And I was really Alexander hoping... I was hoping it was going to go, how did an orphan? <laughs> but nothing. I would have loved to see Bing Crosby do that. Oh. <laughs> and so this is where we start with Sleepy Hollow. And the animation, I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, it's just the introduction. The introduction, the animation seems kind of lazy. And we're told that the um, Happy Valley or whatever it was called or is beautiful. But foreboding. And on foreboding, they cut to a graveyard. So that's good. Mm. That's good. Just in case you missed that. And then we introduce the main character. Oh my god, he's so ugly. Ichabod. And sometimes <laughs> there are no words. And that also includes the book that he was apparently reading. Because he turned from <laughs> blank page to blank page to blank page in this book. And Can I just ask, at the start, does it say that someday, some say that he still haunts the vicinity? Uh, potentially, yeah. Bit of a contrast to what they say at the end. Well, no, they leave it open to the interpretation. They say he might still be alive. Yeah, or he, that's how mites work. He might be alive, or he might still haunt the vicinity. Yeah, but well, make your mind up. No, that's what an open ending does. It's, no. It, don't watch Inception. <laughs> I have. <laughs> okay. Um, and so this is like Ugly Bell. Oh, he's like the a moldy apple with a 
beak on chopsticks. He's so yeah. repulsive. But the, but the opening, it's like you got Belle, but without the without the physical beauty. He may as well have gone, there goes the school teacher with his book like always. He's really ugly. Because he's just walking he's, through a town. He's the oddball because he reads, because he's bookish, and because his feet are like shovels, I think they said. Yeah. 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 He's like a chinless monster with a ponytail, and it's he. He smiles so uncomfortable to see. I hate. I hate everything about Echoboard <laughs> from like a visual point of view. But it's a lovely song. And to juxtapose, well, it's a lovely song. It's sang by Bing Crosby, isn't it? Mm. But it's also just really nice. Like it's got that mm. swing style again, and it's really jolly. And then we're introduced to the Sleepy Hollow Boys, which I wish I was making a joke here, but that's actually the name. He called them the Sleepy Hollow Boys, <laughs> Colonial America's premier pop group, led by <laughs> disc, a discount combination of Gaston and Paul Bunyan. And I wrote this joke, and in my research after the fact, I found that when they were creating the character of Gaston for Beauty and the Beast, they went back to this guy as their inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> And you can see, oh, it. see it. It was I this whole. I'm the most manly of men, and look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Get, I have this keg of case of beer, keg of beer on my shoulder. I'm gonna fill up all your glasses, and aren't we men? There's a lot of animation from this one that doubles up. Yeah, and so, um, and then we have a song, uh, Ichabod Crane, which we talked about already with uh, the Good Morning Bell, uh, and then we see Ichabod in the classroom, and he's got some classroom management that seems to work for him, although it's largely dependent on what he needs for dinner that night. Whether he discipline the child or eat the yeah. sandwich. But it, to be fair, it's really it's out of the fact that they're a little drawing of a teacher. It's a really calm classroom. And then he's we cut to him. He's, he's teaching girls how to sing, and they all seem fairly smitten with him. So there is a theme here that for all his weirdness, Ichabod Crane is is attractive he's, to the ladies. He's the intelligent outsider, isn't he? He's quirky. He's intelligent. He's bookish. Mm. He's he can he can play and sing. And one of the ladies in front of the piano in this scene is very, very similar to one of the ugly, ses- uh, ugly stepsisters from Cinderella. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Which would be out after this, we said. Cinderella yeah. was the next film. Very interesting. And then we have a song, Katrina. And if you missed this, don't worry. It's going to be the underscore for the rest of the film is going to be this little Katrina little like hook with the exception of the actual chase. It was just this. Every time I cut to her, it was, mm-hmm. it was like a lay motif gone banana and here we have another character model from cinderella who's this katrina yeah oh really she's cinderella oh my god i see actually because i've got something here first thing i noticed though katrina's got much more cleavage than i was expecting to see in a <laughs> disney film i was like this is the same company who right now is like digitally like blurring out bum crack and splash and taking away cleavage in the wizards of waverly places mum and 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 yet, sixty years ago, eighty years ago, they were like, "No, that needs needs more cleavage." Well, Walt, are you sure? Listen, Art, you, you're not going to go on strike again. I don't. I want more cleavage than that. <laughs> it's just insane. And so, apparently, it's based off a character called Grace Martin from Make Mine Music. Now, we haven't come across Make Mine Music yet, but I'd be curious about that. I. I've seen Make My Music oh, have you? Okay. recently, weirdly. That is weirdly. Yeah, I was. I, I went on this weird thing about like an owl from Melody Time, I think, or Make My Music, and I was like, oh, okay. That might that might be very similar, but I can't remember like off the top of my head. But and, it seems familiar. And we have, I mean, there's the whole song about Katrina. And 
Ichabod's in love. We can tell because he's got a turkey on his head and he's eating his hat. Yeah. And he's with this, like, the one other single. It's weird because there were three really pretty girls who, kind of pretty girls, who he was helping, like, learn how to sing earlier. Mm. I don't think they were supposed to be pretty girls. Well, they're prettier than the one he's sitting there having turkey with. Because at this point, it's the one who's at the dance. It's the other. So all of a sudden, it it boils the town down to two girls. Because the rest of the film, it's all that matters. And so Ichabod's in love, and he's not doing his job, and now he's doing Ofsted visit because the kids are running absolutely rampant. Um, and we start getting all these allusions to: is it because she's attractive, or is it because she's rich? This was very strange. I, because is she, if she's rich, if that's your motivation, the fact she's pretty has no point about it. So the fact you're like, mm. uh, I don't know, if, if he's chasing money, then that's fine. He's chasing money. At which point you go, is Ichabod the hero or is Ichabod actually the villain in this piece? No, none of these main characters in both stories are morally good people at the end of the day. Mole like, is morally good. What does, what does Bram do wrong? Besides be unlucky and, and, and lose in every battle. But what does he do that's wrong? He's, he's, he's a bit of a jerk, but, he's, but like his reasonings as far as we know for wanting... Christina is not, you know, Katrina. her money. I think it's more from an, like an actual affection point of view. Yeah, but like he's, he's just he's competitive, but so yeah. He's not very nice to Ichabod, but he's not nice to Ichabod. But Ichabod's not nice to Ichabod's no. passive aggressive. Just Bram's a bit more no. upfront about, about it. it. Yeah. I mean, he does kind of like try and kill him by opening the trap door. Yeah, but, but it's cartoon logic as well. So, um, at this point, I realized, okay, we're just not going to have dialogue in this film. Because we got this far into it, and it's it's like no, we got Bing Crosby. No one else is speaking. That went. <laughs> I didn't even realize there went the budget here. So at which point, when Georgia gets back from her hiatus, I want to ask her which one of these is your non-speaking sidekick choice? Because all of them qualify, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with the exception of when they sing that song. Occasionally, they they get a line of some sort. I um, think. I think. Was, was the, what do you say? The uh, the big sort of Brom. quote unquote bad guy is Brom uh, Brom. Yeah, he's the only one that actually has like a real speaking part because he's yeah. voiced by Ben Crosby. Yes, he is. And so um, at this point, uh, Ichabod tries to do like the Sir Walter Raleigh thing where he lays the, the, the coat down for the woman to walk through a puddle. At which point I always kind of went, is it that big of a deal? You can't walk around a puddle. Like I know it's one of those like symbols yeah, of, of chivalry. Down the road slightly then. Yeah. But much clearer. I mean, she lives on a farm. She's a farmer's daughter. <laughs> it's not the queen. <laughs> and... Instead, and Brom's a jerk here, but he gets the horse to like stamp on the puddle and it coats uh, Ichabod with mud. But she's about to step on it. Like her dress would be ruined too. I think he, I think the idea is he sort of sweeps her up at the same time uh, so she doesn't get covered. But then, and Katrina definitely deserves some culpability in this. I don't think I've used the word culpability on a podcast before. Um, she gives him a token in the form of a handkerchief, which um, Ichabod smells and Kind of a creepy way. It's not creepy. Yeah. Oh, I. <laughs> it's very obsessive. I guess. Mm. Um, and then he races to the house before the horse that Brahms taking her can get there first. And then there's a switcheroo because there's a big uh, dust cloud, and the dust cloud, Ichabod switches places with Brahm, and now Brahms a pack mule. And then he goes inside, and now this becomes like, how can I avoid getting beat up? And the Katrina score has not stopped playing all through this point. I'm like, I'm, I don't need this one line over and over again. 
And there's always a cosmic circumstances why uh, Icky, as I've called him, because he makes me feel Icky, Icky cannot avoid, uh, manages to avoid getting beaten up. And I thought there was a nice bit where he gets hit in the head with the horseshoe and then he sees two of Ichabod and they're dancing together in this choreographed bit. It's not just like they're like a mirror. It is like there's two of them as a partnership. They're harmonizing and everything with that whistle. It was nice. And then we have another still shot of a letter being written where she purposely invites both boys Mm. because she's enjoying being fought over. Oh, yeah. And then a raider starts talking to Ichabod about getting ready. And Ichabod's like nodding. I'm like, what are the rules here? You can now <laughs> hear the narrator as he speaks about getting ready? Like, what is this? Um, And then at the dance, um, Ichabod dances and he eats cake. Did anyone else notice that the animation right at the start of the dance is like ridiculously basic? Is it? Like it's like yeah. any, any kind of detail just disappears for about five seconds and then suddenly they zoom in and it's back to normal again. And then this is where Disney decided they're going to tell us what the lay of the land is. So if you're short and heavy, you are going to be mocked. And if you are busty and blonde, you are going to be fawned over. That wasn't just Disney though, was it? That wasn't just <laughs> Disney. It was probably, it was negative at the time, fair enough. And the dancing between um, the brunette girl and Brom reminded me a lot of the dance scene between Little John and Clucky in Robin Hood. This weird sort of really forceful swing dancing where you've got two heavier set characters who are just flinging each other about. Very much reminded me of that. And Brom keeps trying to cut in. Um, and then midnight is foreboding. And at midnight, Brom starts telling his story in the he's, form of a song. After he's trapped himself down the trap. Yes, door. after a trap door fiasco doesn't happen. Uh, and it's called When the Spooks Have a Midnight Jamboree. I love this song so much. I've been humming it all day. It is. All my research, it kind of listed as like one of the big three scary songs in the history of Disney kind of um, Really? Films. Yeah, it did. It likened it to uh, Hellfire and to something from the Black Cauldron. This is not a spooky song. It's just very jazzy. It's like the monster mash of Disney songs. Well, this is where you can tell Ichabod is the outsider, though, because everybody else is like kind of like, yeah, I've heard this since I was mm. five. And Ichabod's like... Like, he actually does believe in spooks. We should told him they mm. exist, and he hasn't had a chance to build up that immunity over years and years and years. And he's almost too afraid to eat his hard-boiled egg. <laughs> which, After really overly peppering it. Peppering. I first thought it was salt, and they just animated it darker so that we could see it. But then his, like, head explodes at the end. So I'm like, no, that was all payoff for a quick, <laughs> oh, my God, that's way too... This is how you can tell it's New England, because the black pepper has made him go, ow, too spicy. <laughs> And then he goes outside and he goes home and the narrator goes, it was the witching hour of night. Now, I'm sorry. I teach English. Screw you, Bing Cosby. Bing Cosby? Bing Crosby. I'm going to do that again. (sighs) Screw you, Bing Crosby, because I know the witching hour is midnight. I've heard it's also 3 o'clock, like 3 a.m. This is nonsense. I teach Hamlet. I'm sure. Alexa, when is the witching hour? Okay, so Alexa We're said like, so right. Right. Alexa <laughs> said I was like seventy percent right. <laughs> okay, if that's the case, if that's the case, what parties in New England in the colonial times are going on to like three in the morning? Big Good rages. Like, no, if that's the case, stay until morning. 
I would have thought if I if if I was Ichabod, I would use this this as a perfect opportunity to you know stay at Christina's because he seems smooth enough to do that. Would that not I, make more sense in she, his head? I know she lives Katrina. on a farm. I know she lives on a farm, but like the whole town's there. Could you carpool? <laughs> you know, carpool. safety in numbers. Um, and so he's scared to go home. And, and his knees, knocking his knees are knocking and then he starts whistling, but his whistling meets the whistling of the wind, but not the wind in the willows. It was very all over the place. Uh, and then there was a, a Disney jump scare with a tree branch and the lighting changes. And we find it's just fireflies. And then we start here. He starts hearing the animals going Ichabod, Ichabod. And then who? And then headless horseman, headless horseman says Mr. Toad in a cameo in this one. <laughs> no, nah, just a frog. Um, and he's scared of the reeds. And Ichabod has a laugh of his horse, but then we hear. There's a crow as well that says, oh, beware. Beware. And then we hear the headless horseman cackling away. And this bit is so bloody long. Not the bit after he, when the chase begins, but everything that leads up from when he's left the party to all the sounds. I mean, I recapped it in about 90 seconds. I think it was like. 12 minutes or something obscene. It was a long time. It wasn't time. that long. See, this I think is I'm, all I remember. I'm still watching it. <laughs> <laughs> this this was all I remembered from uh, like my memories of watching this when I was like a wee five-year-old, you know, two years ago. I'm not surprised. And it's quite scary. To be fair, you don't really, I don't remember the bit before this. I just remember everything after yeah. the party. I just remember the headless horseman and yeah. that's it. And yeah. I was like, I, I just remember that one sort of, I was going to say, iconic, just memorable image of just the headless horseman chasing Ichabod. I remember it just being that. It yeah. looked very different in my mind. It's probably I w- because it's so scary for a little kid. Mm. You could have told me it was a one segment, like 11 minute thing. And I'd have gone, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I remember that. That sounds right. I think because I went from, you know, funny parent trap hijinks with Mickey Mouse and Goofy <laughs> to just, hey, do you want to watch a guy get beheaded by a skeleton <laughs> scarecrow? Well, cue, oh. cue the purple light. And then, I mean, the Headless Horseman kept aiming. For, I guess this thing is he beheads someone. I guess that's the gimmick. But I'd have gone for the horse on the first slice. Mm-hmm. Get the horse out of the way. Because where the horse head. It was after a lot of comic mishaps where Ichabod ends up on the wrong horse or he gets clotheslined by a low-hanging bow and does like a spin and lands on the horse or the horses go in the wrong direction. We get a, a sort of a, a, a memory of the story being told earlier in the night that says, if you make it over the bridge, that's when his power is gone. Okay. So eventually they get across the bridge. Now, at which point, if there's a headless supernatural demon being who's been chasing me, I'm not going, technically I've passed. Technically I'm there. Going to turn back and laugh. And now. just turn back and laugh or go, oh, I'm going to run for a bit more just in <laughs> case maybe it was like not just like the, the shed of the bridge, but maybe it's like the crest of the bridge or I'm just not taking it for granted. But he basically stops and goes, whew, glad that's over. At which point the headless horseman takes his pumpkin head and throws it at Ichabod. He and, grenades him. And that's when we kind of leave things. And so the question is, the, it gives us two options. Number one is that Ichabod has now haunts the uh, Happy Valley. He is now the Headless Horseman. I believe at least that's where it's supposed to be. Option two, he married a rich widow. And he lives in this place where all the kids look like him, and he's quite happy. Now, I think the much more logical answer is, is the bit where he's actually married. I think Brom killed him. 
Because see, this is the other thing is that Braun is the headless mm-hmm. horseman, and this is the story he uses to get rid of him. Yeah, I think Braun then marries Katrina. We know Braun marries Katrina. Either way, I think he found a richer woman, and he disappears, and this is the story that gets him out of it. Because you can't Google him, so you just leave town. <laughs> well, it, it does. It would make sense if it was Braun, because if we were to go from the the idea that Braun's voice has also been Crosby's. It's technically he could be then telling the story to other people. Yeah. Just leaving out the part where it's like, yeah, and then I killed him. But Brom, I mean, Brom gets a rough ride in the story told by the narrator, does he not? Mm, ish. I'm trying to remember. If you were to tell the story, wouldn't you make yourself look better than you did? He could technically make it be like a, a underdog story. Maybe. Ish. Maybe. Yeah. Like the moral is, don't be, don't, don't be, don't be a, a, a food gold digger, man. And that's, and from here, we just fade out. They go back to the library, put the book away, and we're on the other side of the stained glass. Like, it wasted no time getting mm. out of here. No. So, and that's our, and I'm going to use the word very loosely, movie. Um, so, um, which, let's talk about, it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a tale of two halves. Which half is the better half? Definitely the first one. So, Wind in the Willows. Yeah. Ethan? I'm really torn because I don't like, I don't remember much of the, the Wind in the Willows, but the songs in Sleepy Hollow were really memorable for me. Okay. Like, they're, they're just a bit more catchy. So, I think from like a memorable point of view, also, I, I do like spooky stuff, so I'm biased there. I do like Headless Horseman stuff. See, I didn't get a protagonist I liked in either story. Mm. And Toad actually makes me angry. But I think the ending. The ending but, is more cathartic for the second mm, one. Yeah. So here's my struggle, is that I hate Toad. I just hate Toad. Always have. Every time I've seen him, hate Toad. But at least I have an opinion on Toad. You're not supposed to like Toad. Ichabod is dull. Ichabod is boring. The story was boring. I get it. She likes him, and she's playing them against each other, but he's not going to give up. And it was like it kept going and going and going until finally the five minutes everybody remembers because it's the only good five minutes of it. And mm. it gives you an open end, and you go, oh, cool. But the problem is you gave me 20 minutes of crap before you got to that. So in one, I'm mad at a character. In the other one, I'm mad at the actual story itself. So I'm going to say I am going to – and if. When it was over, I would have put down anything that my answer would not have been this. But Wind in the Willows is my preferred of the two. Wow. Yeah. Um, and don't ask me that. I might change my mind tomorrow. But right now, I'm just, <laughs> it's just... Yeah, it just was not good. Um, so, is there a favorite character? You can do one for each. You can do one overall. What do you want to do here? I'm good with one overall. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. I can't even think of two characters. I really like Mole. Um, I think I might be a little bit biased on Mole, but um, I just think he's really cute. Like when they lower him onto to get the to get the deed, and then when he runs into the mirror, like I've I've run into a mirror before when I've been in a hurry. That was embarrassing. Um, but just just little things. He's just really cute and sweet and. He just wants the best for everybody, and he's just a lovely guy. He doesn't want any trouble. Ethan? I 
Yeah, I'm going to go Mole as well because I don't remember any of the other characters from Sleepy Hollow that I was like, yeah, I like that character. Yeah. He's just... He's got a really nice animation design as well. He's just very huggable and squishy. He's like an adipose from Doctor Who. Sure. Um, I'm going to go with Maul. I'm going to make it three for three. Um, I mean, honorable mention to Badger. I think I like some elements of... Oh, God. Oh, I like the crotchety kind of... His name was Angus. I mean, that's that's quite quite (laughs) Scottish, isn't it? Um, But really kind of enjoyed that. Um, The only Scottish thing about him, though. He wore a tartan. He did. He wore a tartan. We'll get to my grumble in a minute. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so that was, I guess that, I mean, I, I at least I kind of, you know, even ratty to a degree, but Maul was, he was cute. He was, he was, Maul wanted to see the best in everybody. And there's nothing wrong with being that person. As long as you surround yourself with someone who can act as a, barometer to help make sure you exactly. don't yes and so i like the idea of more and on my good days i would rather be more than be ratty so there's that um favorite song there was a few songs in this um favorite song of, of, of the bunch the the ichabod crane first one that when they like who's coming who's that coming down the street i can't remember what it was called Maybe okay. that's what it was called. Well, maybe it's called. I think it's just called. Crane. I think it's just called Ichabod Crane. That, that opening number, though, I really liked that. Okay, so discount Bell, or Bell first draft. <laughs> Ethan, I really like Brom's song. It's just really, it's really catchy. It's just very jazzy. I think it's just because it's you know, it's just very Ben Crosby being like, "Hey, son's gonna kill you, but also <laughs> have some saxophone." It was, it was nice. <laughs> you say saxophone or sex fun? Saxophone. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Your accent. Um, <laughs> uh, mine is going to be, yeah, the sort of, I think it's when the spooks have been like Jamboree or something, yeah. whatever that was, the, the Headless Horseman story song. I, I really enjoyed that. I did. Do, 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 do. It, yeah, it's, like, it's almost like put it on the wrist. Yeah, I could hear that like in, in your singing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say that the music throughout this, I, I really quite enjoyed. There weren't any songs that I was like, ugh. I think they're getting their money's worth from Bing Crosby in this. Yeah, I mean, there, there was definitely a stark contrast between the one song in Wind in the Willows and then Is there a favourite three. bit or a favourite element that we haven't talked about? Um, I really like the scene where they sneak into Toad Hall. I think there's lots of little funny funny bits in there. Um, oh, right like, so the bit when they've got the mole being lowered on the ropes and then he falls and gets cuddled by Winky and then when he runs into the mirror, which I mentioned, and then when they make the paper airplanes and Toad goes up to try and catch it and he sucks the... The airplane nearly goes in the fire oh, and he sucks it up in the bellows and I, I thought that did. was really funny. I, I, I wish I... Thank you, because I, I, I did have that down in my notes and as, as, as a wind in the bellows joke as well. <laughs> and and uh, was uh, would have really been moderately disappointed if i hadn't remembered to say that so thank you. <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> i think moderately disappointed is a good way to describe my my viewing of this <laughs> tonight ethan um i really enjoyed cyril's moment of slam poetry it just came out of nowhere <laughs> and just it was just a nice little little change of pace and like you said the flashback was just a little bit it, it was it, it, it was jamming <laughs> cool <laughs> <laughs> I'm really struggling to think of something here. Uh, I am go- I'm going to say I at least appreciate the fact that this was a package film because mm. I would have struggled to have sat through a full Wind in the Willows and definitely would have struggled with a full Aww. Headless Horseman. So Wind in the Willows is great. It, 
as because neither story really eclipsed 30 minutes i think they're both about 25 if you get rid of all the mm. other fancies on each side um basically you can't hate it for that long before you're going well it's almost over isn't it it's not yeah. how i felt about three caballeros and so but th- those were like three parts that sort of interconnected do you know what i mean this was clearly just two things that they put together. Oh, yeah, there's, there's no sense. This in is like when you go to Tesco two. and you buy like the triple, and it's not like they have any. It's just three separate sandwiches <laughs> put in one box. Yeah. Is there anything that links them? Well, technically, they're all sandwiches, but that's about and it. They're, they're really, they're really different in kind of appropriateness for kids as what, well. Because one's like chicken salad and one's. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. I mean, no, but that sort of wind in the willows is sort of a fairly wholesome traditional story <laughs> it's a dark turn um and then ichabod is just scary. like imagine if you buy this for your kids and you put them down you go oh wind of the willows this is nice and you leave yeah and you come yeah. back yeah and you yeah imagine and, and you come back like 20 minutes later it's like i will get you <laughs> it's the exact experience my mom had really strange it's really dark you're looking at this cover and it's like Mickey Mouse and like a happy-go-lucky scholar man. And I then mean, Ichabod's like kind of like some guy with his passport out on holiday. Yeah. <laughs> He's having a good time and there are two Mickeys and they're just having like, like a nice little happy time. But look time. on his face. It's like, but look on his face. It's like, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> Even the first bit of Ichabod for the first half of it, it's completely fine and just jolly and it's got some lovely songs and yeah. it's just like death. Death. It's like if you're watching Bridget Jones and halfway through, not even halfway, like 20 minutes before the end, they're like, hey, you guys heard of Saw? <laughs> such a tonal shift. <laughs> it's a Carrie Elwes double feature. You loved ah. him in Princess Bride. <laughs> oh, I should have chose that one instead. Oh, life is pain, princess. He wasn't joking. Uh, so, oh, my little grumble. So mine has got to be Badger's accent. Okay. It was horrific. Like the second he opened his mouth, I was like, are you actually kidding? Like, I'm pretty sure that Badger is normally just Badger, not Muck Badger or Angus Muck Badger. That was a little um, bit for American audiences, wasn't yeah. it? Look, he's Scottish. He's But hang on, because you appreciated it when it was uh, Jock the Scotty Dog. You liked that. But his accent's much more convincing. But the fact that he's just, oh, we name him as Jock because he's yeah, Scottish. Yeah, I do like, yeah, but why should a badger be Scottish? As opposed to a... Scotty a, dog. That lives in London. But he's a Scotty dog, like the clues in the name there. Badger isn't so just a Scottish gen- animal. So genetically you have the accent? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it makes hey, more hey, sense. They both wore tartan. You know, it makes more sense. Like I, I wouldn't have had as much of a problem with it if he actually had a convincing accent. You know, if they actually cast a Scotsman in the role... Um, but it was just really bad. And then the other thing... What if he went, I'm fighting for my own hand? No. Um, <laughs> um, but then the other thing about Badger as well was that he had a really strange character model. I'm sorry, it's Mick Badger. Whatever. Um, like his, I didn't understand his yeah. character model at all. So he had, he had human hands and he had like a white beard, which very much looked like it was on a chin. But then he had like the long pointy snout nose with a little kind of black button on the end, just like Mole and Ratty have. And then he had like these streaks down his face to make him look like a badger. So it's like, is he actually supposed to be a badger or is he supposed to be a person? Is he just in some weird kind of cosplay? I don't know. I don't know. So Cyril didn't bug you, but like the, the, the badger did. Cyril that looked like a horse. Did he? Yeah. All right. Looked like a cartoon horse. 
badger looked like a weird badger man. So he didn't look like a cartoon at all? It looked like a cartoon, but it was, <laughs> it was a cartoon of two things fused together. Much like this double feature film. Ethan! Yes. Um, I've mentioned this in The Incredibles thing. I'm real, I'm real specific about I can't wait to hear like, what the editing. link is between this and The Incredibles. <laughs> Again, it's audio editing and like audio mixing, and I know I know this is the forties at all, but like there are points in especially the wind and the willows when people are talking and it just doesn't sound good. When Ratty's talking, you can tell that it's like he recorded this in a completely different studio because it'll be like, "Hey guys, it's me, the mole," and then Ratty will be like, "Yeah, and it's me, Ratty. <laughs> How are you guys doing? It's really great being Ratty." Oh yes, I agree. I'm mole. <laughs> it's awful, and it just—I was listening to this with headphones. And it just sounded so bad. I guess probably something you can probably only tell if you have the headphones in, actually. Yeah. Because sometimes you get that extra clarity, but you just—you know—you're distracted. You're doing other things, or you're taking notes, and you're like, "Yeah, excellent." <laughs> okay, mine is this. Mine is an over reliance on narrators. They got their big names to sort of play their parts. And I think we saw that especially in Ichabod and um, Ichabod Crane, sorry. And I think we saw in the fact that none of the characters got any dialogue. And as a result, none of the characters, I think it's, they struggled with doing characterization without the ability of using a voice to express things. Or other than, I mean, <laughs> It's the equivalent of like just doing like a bad bit of acting where someone off stage is doing the voiceovers and you have to kind of like, like mime it with like your face and like your feet and you go and tell me something compelling. I just didn't care. I, like, Ichabod was like the the clam segment in Alice in Wonderland, but stretched from like four or five minutes to twenty five. The clam segment is my favorite bit in Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> Anyways, and that was oysters. my my issue was the the two narrators. Uh, less of an issue in um, Wind in the Willows. Definitely a huge issue in Ichabod. Mm. Um, and that just leaves us with our respective rankings. Rankings, rankings. You know it's time for the rankings. So if this is your first time listening, what we do here is as we watch a Disney animated classic, we sort of have an ever-evolving list where we rank them one being the best. And in this case, oh, shoot, how many have we done now? It would be 16. 16? It would be 16. And in order, we have done so far Frozen, Mulan, Pocahontas, Lady and the Tramp, The Three Caballeros, Sword in the Stone, Wreck-It Ralph, Treasure Planet, Aladdin, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, 101 Dalmatians, Alice in Wonderland, The Wild, The Princess and the Frog, and Frozen 2. And so we've done 15. This will be number 16. And so one being the best, 16 being the worst. I want to know, where have you placed this package film and why? Ellie. I've placed it at number 10. 10. So what's that yeah. between? That is below Pocahontas, um, which wasn't, as we as we know, wasn't my uh, most favorite of, of films. But I do appreciate that it's you know, got a much more kind of fluid story and things which is probably what i value most um but above frozen 2 above frozen 2 okay yeah really okay yeah. interesting um it would i was sort of struggling with that decision a little bit but do you think that's nostalgia do you think that's the wind in the willows yeah i do okay. 
I, I do think that's entirely There's nothing wrong with that. Going, um, I, I love these characters. That's a huge part of it. Yeah. And I, when you adapt someone else's work, you can, you can, that's half the battle sometimes. Yeah. I just, mm. I just really like the story. I think it's, it's just lovely. Right. The Wind in the Willows part. And I didn't, I didn't mind the Ichabod bit. I thought it was a bit weird, but I didn't have a problem with that part of the film either, really. So, right. yeah. Ethan. Uh, I have this at number 15. Oh, second, uh, is, second lowest. Yeah, this is Under Sword and the Stone because uh, the stories in Sword of the Stone kind of made more sense, like thematically and contextually. Yeah. And then Above the Wild because it's the wild. Yes. <laughs> the, wi- the wild had Coldplay. This had Bing Crosby. I know which one I prefer. Yeah. Um, this, I made a comparison earlier, but this was like um, the triple sandwich from um tesco and what that means is you can buy prepackaged sandwiches in boxes in england and um generally there'll be one kind like egg and bacon you'll have two halves of an egg and bacon sandwich you can take it with you for your lunch but occasionally you get like a variety pack of sandwiches and the trip will be three different ones and this is kind of like it's like two two different sandwiches put into one but i didn't really care for either one on their own and then combined, it's like a Frankenstein sandwich of, like, a disaster. So, with that in mind, with a very bad taste still in my mouth, I am going to go ahead and say that I am putting uh, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad at 14. 14. So, it is below Alice in Wonderland, but it's above the Three Caballeros. So my bottom three goes, my bottom three goes, uh, Ichabod and Mr. Toad, Three Caballeros, The Wild. So uh, after a pretty good run for a few films there, it's been a couple Mm. where I have struggled with um, just the fact they weren't very good. And don't get me wrong, there's a whole chasm of difference between Frozen 2, which was disappointing, and this, which was... Wrong. Frozen Two is a film. Frozen like, Two is a it's, film. It's a film with songs that, yeah. whilst I don't think we really remember, I will say I've had Into the Unknown kind of stuck in my head every so often, but, just the chorus. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, like it's catchy, but but it's a film. It's somewhat, it's somewhat cohesive. It's somewhat competent and coherent. This one just, it's like if you got half of Frozen Two and then mixed it in with like I don't know, Finding Nemo. <laughs> Like, it doesn't make sense at all. And just before we wrap this up, I do a reflection correction to do on last week's episode. Because we were trying to figure out how old is Syndrome. And we guessed he must have been about 13, maybe 14. Mm. I did some research. Syndrome is 10 years old at the start of the film. Oh, my God. Which means he's 25. But however, go back to my theory now. Which was that you're seeing mirroring of Dash... And of Buddy, whose name is actually Buddy. I found that out too. His real name is Buddy. Um, so Buddy's 10. Dash is 10. Now, you, Buddy's a very normal name, isn't it? It's just a placeholder name. There's nothing special yeah. about the name Buddy as opposed to Dash. That's the name you give a dog. Yeah. The event that Dash is achieving is he is going from grade four to grade five. You guys don't know this living in this country. Grade four to grade five, you are around the age of nine to ten years old. So Dash is ten years old at a key point in his life. We saw Buddy earlier at ten years old. And they both say that line about being special and no one being special. 
I think that's clearly been done, and I bet you there is something else on the cutting room floor, because that's way too convenient to throw together as a plot point and not have that with some intention. I can see that. So the most interesting part of this podcast for me was talking about last episode. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't think I'm being unfair. For It's also the most fun I've had, I think. I mean, I've enjoyed ripping this one to pieces, but... I actually appreciate like well-told stories. Well, you'll be pleased to know then that I found a uh, a version of the film of Wind in the Willows that I'm familiar with is uh, available on YouTube. Yeah, not, I'm not watching that. <laughs> I've got a hard enough. I had a hard enough time when it was a friend of mine playing playing Mister Toad, so I'm not doing it. No, I'm. Done. I think me, me and Wind in the Willows. With the exception of, I did see the West End had like a little thing at West End Live, oh, and they did the that Richard looked Sound really one. good. That was okay. That looked really good. Did you yeah. see the whole thing? I think I think we were at the same West End Live thing when they did that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know if you went yeah. and saw the, the the full show at any time. I I was going to, and then they cancelled it because oh. no one oh, saw really? it. Because I hated yeah. Under the Willows, and I saw that though, and I went, actually, that looks all right. That looks it's okay. So many different adaptations. I think, I think that was the visuals. Free. I know it's on. There's like a streaming service called like Broadway.com or something or I'm something kind of like that. It, yeah. Yeah, I know it's on there. I was going to give it a shout at some point, but I just, I just forgot to. I'll tell you what, if anybody's interested in that, or if you know, if you can get a hold of us on our socials, which is at Talking the Mickey on Instagram, at Talking the Mickey on Facebook, and at Talk the Mickey on the Twitter. And uh, if you know, great, please send us a link to that. If not, maybe we can see if we can track that down and tweet that out. A better version of Wind in the Willows. I don't know if this was a bad version of Wind in the Willows. It was a version of Wind in the Willows, and that was enough for me. I don't know. So uh, we know next time, please join us next time when we are leaving this stuff behind and we are going back to the world of Pixar again uh, to talk about the 1995. I can't believe it's in 25 years, but we're going to see Toy Story. And Liam from Best Film Ever will be joining the panel. It's a crossover episode. So I'm looking forward to it's fun when we kind of cross the streams, as we say in Ghostbuster talk and (laughs) have... uh, have people show up in, in a bit of a crossover episode. It's kind of like at the end of um, Frozen when you see the Tangled characters show up at the side of the screen. Mm. Like, oh, I know him. So <laughs> whether it's people from Best Film Ever going, oh, I know Liam, or people from this one going, I know Ethan. And hopefully someone knows who I am. That'll be all right. <laughs> Such as. Somehow. So please join us next week on Tuesday. On Tuesday, it's a short turnaround. You'll get two podcasts in five days when we talk about... <sighs> Toy Story. Toy Story, thank you. Did so, you forget? It's been, a, it's been a harrowing evening. So, for Talking the Mickey, I have been Ian. I've been Ellie. I've been Ethan. And please remember to go ahead and support your local independent wrestling federation. Ethan will see you there. And please don't forget to join us on Tuesday when it's Motor Car Mania. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Actually, it's Toy Story. Please see us then. We'll see you. Okay, I'll do something else. What's a good line? For, there's, no, there's no good lines in this. Uh, you could do no, something in rhyme. I'm doing, I'm doing four lines just so we can get through an A, B, A, B, quatrain. <laughs>
that's the most. I mean, there's not one memorable line from either part of it. I can't because all, all the ones in the Ichabod one are just like, "Ah, oh, Icky, my boy." He he thought this, and then all the other ones are just like toad making car sounds. Yeah, I forgot all the lines. All right. Uh, and please- Ichabod Crane were like Ichabod lame. No. <laughs> <laughs> I put that on after the music stops. Uh, 